welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. So Eric is sick. He's still sick. He got sick end of last week, and it continued throughout this week. So he asked me a couple days ago to preach for him. So I'm like the Keanu Reeves of this, the replacements, you know, coming in. So we're going to take a little break from Hebrews so that Eric can finish up chapter 10 next week for us. And we're going to be looking at the topic of friendship. If you were here last week, we talked about Hebrews 10.25, and Eric shared about this community that comes together to bless each other, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And the only way that we do that is by using our gifts that God gives us, that He works through us for the common good of the believer. Amen? And so I thought, how can we fulfill that command unless we're friends? We can't. And so today what we'll do is just take my goal is encouraging us to become friends with each other, to step in to a friendship with one another because how can we fulfill the calling God has on us as a church if we do not love and care for one another as friends? Make sense? And so it's going to be a basic message, just a call, an encouragement to call you to friendship, encourage you and exhort you to get to know the people that are next to you to get to know the people that God has placed around you in this community. Because we can actually be in a community but have no idea who people are. We could be in a community, being around people, yet still feel so alone. And so the call is to not just be in community, but be friends with the people that you're in community with. Amen? And a little preface before we move forward. I want to give to my message because practical messages like this, when a scripture maybe convicts you or when the scriptures are a topic, reveals something that you're lacking in, can make some people, can tempt some people to believe that maybe their standing before God isn't good enough or maybe that they're not justified before God's sight and they question their salvation with God. And so my preface, my, what I want to make sure I don't do and you don't do and you don't let the devil do in your own mind is that if there's a scripture that convicts you, we are talking about sanctification, not justification. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of our Lord alone, His work alone, not ours. So when we're talking about the work we're called to do, It is about sanctification. It's about blessing the people around us. It's about blessing our neighbor and loving our neighbor, not so that we can be made right with God. He has done everything for us to be made right with Him. And so if you get convicted, if you get maybe something revealed in you that you're lacking in, see that as God calling you to a deeper relationship with Him. See it as Him calling you to enjoy life more and to bless the people that they need you to do that for. Amen? So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that we get to call you Father, our Father in heaven. Some of us, like me, don't have earthly dads who've cared for us. Yet from a young child, you've always made it known to me that the Creator, you, are my Father. And I thank you for your care for me. I thank you for always guiding us and giving us everything we need for life and godliness. You are so good. Help us to taste and see that you are good this morning. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for fulfilling the command, the call that the Father had for you to come and to fulfill this covenant of works so that we may become righteous, so that we can be forgiven of all of our deepest, darkest sins that left us stained. You cleanse us through your blood. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes, calling us, seeking after us, and giving us the help we need each and every day. If any of us are wandering this morning, maybe this weekend, call us back through your word, Holy Spirit. Fill us right now. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give me a gift of preaching, of teaching, of wisdom, of understanding. And I ask that you would give all of us a gift, open up our minds and our eyes and our hearts to see, to understand, to comprehend, and to trust the Scriptures. We need you, Holy Spirit, right now. Fall fresh on us, fill us, control us. Let us not be controlled by any other substance, but let us be controlled and filled by you as we come together to sing psalms and hymns and hear your word being taught. We thank you, Almighty God, for being with us. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Bless us, we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What was the first negative sentence in all of the scriptures? Well, yeah, the first one. Yeah. Well, oh, wait, I was like, duh. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> all right, what were you going to say, Eric? Did God really say? Okay, there's one right before that. I guess, yeah, that would be similar, but there's one thing that God said that wasn't good. So he's giving, yeah, the command, and he says, no, and do not eat of the tree. But the first negative sentence that he says something that's not good is that it's, it's not good for man to be alone, right? And so what does God do? The first negative thing he sees, it's before the fall. So he makes man, he makes this creation, and he sees it all as good. And then he sees this man that he creates, and he goes, it is not good that man should be alone. So what does he do? He makes him a wife, a companion, a friend. So from the very beginning, what we see, God made man and woman needy, for relationship, for friendship. And we see this passage being used all the time for marriage, but it is really a passage also about friendship. Because what if Adam would have succeeded in keeping the covenant that God made with him, 
He would have welcomed everybody in to that relationship that he had with Eve, being naked and unashamed, fully embracing and knowing each other, being known by them and knowing them, being transparent and loving them and being kind to them. All of his kids and all of his descendants would have been welcomed into a relationship with no division. But sin comes in. And sin at its core, what does it do? It divides. And so from the very beginning when sin came in, it divided and brought division to the first friendship. And it made them become selfish and inward and pointing at each other. And they hid themselves. Were they hiding themselves from outsiders? No. They were hiding themselves from God and from each other. And so they clothed themselves. Why? Because now sin brought shame on them. And what does shame make you do? It makes you hide. It makes you pull away. And it causes division. And they had guilt now in this relationship. They had impurities in this relationship that kept them from being true friends with each other, knowing each other, being transparent with each other. And so sin at its core is divisive. And sin divided the first friendship, and sin has been dividing people and friends from the beginning of this chapter 3. And you have probably felt it, haven't you? We've felt the divisiveness of sin, but God, in the midst of this sin, calls a group of people, not an individual, a group of people, to live with one another in love, in harmony, treating one another, considering each other's interests more important than their own, being kind to each other, being honest with each other, and when they're hurt or sinned against, that they would forgive each other, and that they would be long-suffering with one another, not giving up, but being like the Lord Jesus, giving of ourselves so that we can build each other up in love, but sin, even in the midst of this call, is still trying to divide. From the beginning, sin is trying to divide. But God is calling us to be a community that loves one another. And by doing this and fulfilling this call, what does he say? He promises us that the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. But it's not a love that just externally we're around each other. It's a love that internally we give of ourselves to each other. We stay with each other. When hard times come, we push forward and let the blood of Christ forgive and wash away and absorb that hurt, not giving up. But again, sin is there, and even in that call, it makes it really intimidating to become true, good friends with each other, doesn't it? Makes it really hard. You know, some of us, we know that we need friends. We know that we want friends. We know that we love the times in the past when we had really good friends. But sin makes us scared. Sin makes us shy away. And so as we move forward in the, in the message, I want to look at um, kind of three points. Um, point number one, what is friendship? Point number two, what keeps us from seeking friends? And point number three, 
We have all what we need to fulfill this calling. So let's start with point number one. What is friendship? Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says um, there's two primary um, characteristics that make up what a friendship is. And he says constancy and transparency. So being constant in connection with this friend and then also transparency or being honest with that friend. And so in regards to constancy, let's look at Proverbs chapter 17. And stay in the Proverbs because we're going to be there for a little bit. Proverbs 17, 17. So what is a friend? One mark of a friend or a characteristic of a friend is the consistency or the constancy of that friend. Look at 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. So the Proverbs give us a hint of what a friend is. A friend is somebody who is there for you at all times. And then it says right after, and a brother is born for adversity. So a friend can also be related to a brother because a friend sticks closer than a brother, right? A friend is there always with you, loving you, and he's born for adversity. When you go through tough times, he is not giving up on you but he leans in and presses in, and he loves you. And what is love? Love is giving of oneself for the betterment of that person. And it's this type of constancy is the opposite of what Proverbs say in chapter 19. Look at chapter 19, verses 4 and 6 through 7. Chapter 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? So what's the opposite of this mark of constancy? As a person who's only there when there's good times, only there when you're throwing a party, only there when you're having a good time. But when tough, tough times come and adversity comes, they leave you. And we felt it, right? Like, it's funny, you know, we do young adults ministry. Most people that come from high school into college, they realize all those people at high school were not their friends. <laughs> they were only there because they were stuck in that place for eight hours a day. But, man, they grow up and they leave. They're like, man, where would all my friends go? No, they were not your friends. They were not built for adversity. They weren't constant. They were because they were forced to, but not because they truly wanted to. So a friend loves at all times, gives of himself or herself all times for their friend. And it's the opposite of the person who leaves when times get tough or when you don't have any money, which I've had not a lot of money for a long time. So, so I have good friends, I feel like. And in regards to transparency, look at Proverbs 27. 27 verses 5 through 10. And this is in regards to a friend being honest, transparent, real with you about their own sin and their struggle, and also real with you about your own sin and your own struggle. Look at verses 5 through 10. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. 
like a bird that strays from its nest, as a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far off. So this constancy and this transparency, he, the proverb Solomon is saying is like, it's better to have a friend who's near, better to have a neighbor than, that's near who's there with you, who knows you, who can speak into your life than a brother who's far off. And he's like, don't go to your father's house in the day of calamity. Go to your neighbor. Don't go to the person who doesn't know your situation. Don't run to this person who's not a friend to you. You know, if your father's close to you, yes, but he's talking about what's important is the people who know you, who are right next to you, who God has you placed by. So lean into it because those people are the true friends who are going to be transparent and real with you and honest with you about their sin and your sin, their struggle and your struggle. And how can we know that unless we're not in true community and in true friendship with one another? And as the Scripture calls us to be friends, you know, this call of being transparent and honest and consistent is kind of intimidating. You know, think about it. Think about reaching out to somebody. You know, as we get older, I feel like we become more internal and also more anxious and aware of our failings. And the devil just slowly nicks at us and beats us up and makes us realize how much of a sinner we really are. And it's intimidating. And so there's certain things that keep us from wanting to be friends with people, certain things that keep us from wanting to reach out, which leads me to my next point. What keeps us from seeking friends? So what is friendship? Friendship is transparency and constancy, knowing each other, being known by them. But so what keeps us from seeking friends? In my own experience and also in the experience of talking to people, I've seen two things that kind of keep people from becoming friends, and that is shame and self-righteousness. In regards to shame, well, if people knew you, they wouldn't want to be your friend. You know, yeah, people sin in this way, but not like me. So if they only knew how bad I was, and eventually they will find out, they'll leave me. And in regards to self-righteousness, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner. Nobody's perfect, but I'm a lot better than them. And, you know, like, yeah, I don't need anybody. You know, they're just a hindrance to me, you know? So in regards to these two sins, all of us, these two lies turn in on us and make us not want to seek out, whether it's shame or self-righteousness. You know, pick your poison. For me, it's both at times. What is it? How do we battle these things? In regards to self-righteousness, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you struggle with self-righteousness and it keeps you from being friends or keeps you from seeking out people, I want you to read this week verses 12 through the rest of the chapter, but we're going to focus in on verses 21 and 22. 
the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So how do we battle this thought of, you know, I don't need anybody? Well, what does it say? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. God has made us, and as He saves us, He welcomes us into the body of Christ. We make up this body of Christ, and we need each other. So can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? No, that's foolish. What if the eye is being prideful and is like, I don't need this guy. I don't need the hand. That's ridiculous because the body, as it's working properly and healthily, it works together. It's connected. And the only way it works properly is if they work together, knowing their need for one another. A separated body part will not last. And so that self-righteous man or woman, they're probably blind. The devil has been lying to them, saying to them, you don't need anybody. You have looked at the faults of others and used the faults of others to say, see, they're so much worse than me. I don't need them. Maybe you think they need you, but you don't really care for them that much. You don't want to give in or help them that much because it's a burden, because they're a lost cause. They need you, and you need them. You are a part of the body of Christ. And another verse that you can meditate on to help you battle this is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is it true that you're a sinner in need of grace? Well, what separates you from that other person? It's not this way. Nothing separates you from that person vertically. You are a sinner in need of grace. Yeah, you think you might be separated this way, different this way, but no, they need you and you need them. Do not listen to the lies of the devil blinding you and telling you you are better because you're not. Amen? We can say amen to that, right? Don't listen to the lies of the devil saying you are better and you have no need of that person. They need you and you need them. And then in regards to shame, the devil has probably been lying to you, telling you you are alone. You are the only one who deals with this. And if you get into a friendship, it's only a matter of time before they find out this horrible sin you've done or this horrible sin that you still do and they're going to leave you. You're just not good enough. And he's been lying to you day after day, keeping you from what you need, keeping you from experiencing the grace and the kindness from God experienced through his people. And how do we battle this? There's two verses that I battle when I'm struggling with this, or use to battle when I'm struggling with this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And then we're going to flip back to 1 Corinthians, so sorry for doing that to you. But 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. So speaking of the devil, he says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
You guys probably know this passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this, this lie that the devil uses to keep us from each other is that you're alone. You're the only one like this. Well, what does the Scripture encourage us with? That we're the same. All throughout the world, brothers and sisters are being tempted in the same way as you are. So fight, resist the devil. And then this one, no temptation has overtaken you that is uncommon to man. And again, that lie of no one else deals with it like this is a lie from the devil trying to keep you. I bet you somebody in this room has done the sin that you're so ashamed of. And you know what? There is a man who is our Lord who has absorbed and dealt with that sin that you're so ashamed of. And so if we are forgiven this way, we can now grant forgiveness this way. If we have our greatest problem has been solved this way, vertically, from us to God, then we can confess to anybody here because our greatest need has been met. And the judge of the world, of the universe, the creator of the universe, calls us righteous. Who cares what the person next to us thinks? But we do care. And if you're on the receiving side of a person coming to you and confessing to you, Receive them with humility and grace and kindness. The same way that God sees them, you should see them. When they are sulking in their sin and beating themselves up and the devil is holding their head down in their sin, you should see them the way God sees them, which is forgiven, cleansed. Amen? And if you are the one right now being held down, looking at your sin, being forced to look at your sin. Feel Christ lifting you up, kneeling down, picking you up, saying, you're forgiven. Like with my kids, something that I constantly try to say, even in my discipline with them, always after I say, are you forgiven? Yes. How? By the work that Christ has done. And I say, when you ask the Father for forgiveness, what does He say to you? And their response is, I'm forgiven or you're forgiven, and I will remember your sins no more. I want them to know from a very young age that when they sin, if they confess to our Father, He says to them, you're forgiven, I will remember your sins no more. And I want them to know that I treat them the same way as the Father when I'm working properly and immersed in the gospel, that when they ask me for forgiveness, it's done right there. I'm not going to treat them differently. It's going to be done as if it never happened again. And so if you're on the receiving side of this transparency, this honesty, this confession, treat them the way that God would treat them, which is forgiven, and apply the gospel to them. Remind them if they confess, they're forgiven. I know it's scary, but we need to resist the lies of the devil because God is calling us to this community that knows each other, loves each other, and cares for each other. And in so doing, we'll show the world that we are his disciples. And then my last point, 
we have all we need to fulfill this calling. You know, at sin's core, what is it? It's divisive. What does the devil come to do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. At grace's core, what is it? It is to unite. God, Jesus, comes to unite us, to reconcile us, to bring peace, not only between us and God, but also between each other. You know, like family, right? You feel it. Your family, blood is thicker than water. You feel that tie to your family. But that blood does not forgive. That blood does not have the power to forgive. So when sin enters into that, bitterness can still happen. When sin enters into that family, sin can still divide because that blood that ties you to your family does not have the power to cleanse out the deepest, darkest stains in that family. But all of us, aren't we family? We are of the body of Christ. We eat the same bread. We eat of the same body. We drink of the same cup. We drink of the same blood. The blood that unites us does have the power to forgive. So we have all we need to be true friends. We have all we need that when sin comes in to eradicate it because the blood that ties us is supernatural. The blood that ties us together is the blood of our Lord Jesus who is spilt out for the forgiveness of sins that transforms us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not only declared righteous, but actually to become righteous. And so, brothers, sisters, I encourage you today, this week, reach out to somebody. Reach out to somebody. Maybe ask them out to coffee, to lunch, or whatever, and ask them, tell me your testimony. How did the Lord call you to Himself? Get to know them. Maybe some of you have some friends that you need to reignite that constancy and transparency with. Maybe ask them, you know, how you been? What have you been struggling with? How has the devil been lying to you? Or how has God been good to you? Where do you see God working in your life? Maybe ask a question, which I like this question. You know, out of two sins, what sins do you normally um, get tempted with? I really like that because it helps me to understand where they're coming from, and it helps me to know what to pray for them. So maybe ask a friend or somebody who you want to be friends with. It's weird, right? Because little kids are good at that. Adults, it's like, you want to be my friend, Scott? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, but man, as a community of believers, that's what we're called to. We're called to be friends with each other. This is the call that we have, the mark that we should have as a church, not just a community who does not know each other. Because there's some of us here, even though there's a hundred people here, some of us still feel alone. Do you know those people who feel alone? Do you know those people who don't know anybody truly, who aren't known by them? Seek them out. Maybe this week, pray, God, bring somebody to mind. Get somebody's number. Lord, what should I tell them? Give me a verse to share with them. Throughout the week, be constant with them, reaching out to them, caring for them, just the way that you need somebody. We need this. 
And again, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to become friends and to stay friends. And what he's given us, which is most important, is himself, which is his blood spilt for us for the forgiveness of sins. And again, each and every week, we partake of the Lord's Supper, which unites us. It's us participating in his death, which forgives us and unites us. The blood that ties us is way thicker than the blood that ties us to our biological families. The blood that ties us is the blood of our Lord Jesus, who not only forgives us, but gives us the power to forgive when sinned against. Gives us the power to stay in true friendships, even when it's hard. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would um, transform us and from one degree of glory to the next, as we behold you and look to you, that you would please grant us sanctification, that you would please even bring people into our lives to remind us how we are being sanctified, how you are changing us. Because when we're so nearsighted, we can't always see it. And we need friends to show us that you are there with us, always guiding us, always protecting us. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can death, can famine? No, nothing. Can bitterness? No, nothing. Can even sin, which is powerful, separate us from your love? No, it cannot, because your blood, your love is stronger. The work of our Lord Jesus is stronger, and it fully satisfies and absorbs all of the sin we've ever committed. I ask that you please be with us. Lord Jesus, make your presence known as we partake of your supper. Be with us, your presence with us as we partake of the body and blood. Give us what we need in this supper. You've prepared a table for us. Please satisfy us through it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for this community. Thank you for loving us so much to giving us good friends. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would expel any demonic influences that might be holding us back. Any demonic influences in this room or in the houses of these people. That you would not let the devil and his demons lie to them anymore, but would free them by the work of your son. Lord Jesus, you are Christus victor. You are victorious over the devil and his demons. You came to destroy the works of the devil and his demons. And you did. You crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. Your heel was bruised. It was a flesh wound, what you did on the cross. But you crushed the head of the serpent, and now he's wriggling around, trying to take as many, still trying to destroy lives, yet he has no power. We are plundering the strong man's house because he's bound by the gospel. We ask that you would be victorious in our own lives, that we would acknowledge and consider the power of the gospel in our lives. 
for sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Please, in this Lord's Supper, give us what we need. Satisfy us. Feed our famished souls. I am confident that you'll do this. Holy Spirit, be with us. Help us to partake in a worthy manner. Forgive us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.